What's up, church? How you guys doing this morning? All right, first service was like 30 times better than that, just saying. And you guys had the extra hour of sleep, so I don't know what that's all about. But uh, no, hopefully you're having a, a good week. It's a good weekend. It's nice and warm outside. All right, we all appreciate that. Um, Last weekend was our, you know, Easter weekend, and we had four services, and throughout those four services, we had over 1,300 people here at our Tiffin campus. Um, so that's uh, our, it was actually our biggest Easter as a, of our, for our church as a whole. Um, between all three campuses, so Northwood, Fremont, and Tiffin, we had uh, 4,391 people, all right? So, um, so that's a... Uh, you know, that's a good thing. You guys were inviting friends. You guys were inviting people, which is what uh, we as Christians is what we're called to do. And uh, just a cool thing. The, even more important than that, uh, we had 207 people tell us that for the first time in their lives, they were giving their lives over to Jesus. And so, um, and those are just the ones that, uh, you know, those are just the ones that let us know. And so we're hoping that numbers, you know, we're hoping that numbers a lot higher even from that. And so God's doing something here and it's a cool thing. And uh, we all get to be a part of it. And so um, just, uh, you know, you don't have that in every church. You know what I'm talking about? And so, but God's doing something here. And it's not necessarily all, all us. It's him too. But um, here, before we get rolling in this morning, i got a question for you. Um, have you ever been a passenger of a car where you start to lose confidence in the driver? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys are like, yeah, this morning driving here, it was crazy. I right? almost hit that guy. Um, you don't have to, like, point anybody out or anything like that. People, we're in church. Okay, so come on. All right. But, um, you know, like, either they're drifting in and out of their lane, or maybe, maybe it's not just they don't know how to drive. You're like, you're like, you don't know if they know where they're going. You're like, hey, man, I think that was our exit back there. You missed it. Um, we got two kind of types of people in here. Uh, you aggressive people, you're just like, hey, man, you know where you're going? All right? But uh, maybe more of you, the passive people in here, you're like, um, have you been there before, <laughs> you know, or do you drive often? You know, that's like the type of thing that you're, you're asking. Are you tired today? Um, but over time, the lack of confidence in their driving, it turns to lack of confidence in the driver, you know. And, uh, and so you're looking at yourself, you know, this is what we do, right? When we're, when we're in that position, we're like checking on our phone, we're checking up maps. You're like, I think that was the way, you know, okay, yeah, I'm right. Or you're looking at their phone, seeing if it's recalculating, seeing if they, you know, they missed it. Or maybe, you know, it's the, the danger part of it and you're like, make sure the seatbelt is on tight. Okay, we're good. And uh, you start thinking, you're like, I don't know if the driver knows where he's taking me. Or frankly, I don't know if the driver knows how to drive. And so when that happens, we feel kind of lost, A, but we also have the tendency to, uh, to, we don't necessarily feel super safe. And I feel like sometimes that God, we feel like God is kind of doing that to us. You ever feel that way? We're like, God, do you, are you sure about this? Like, are you sure you know where you're going? Um, you ever look at your life and you just think, like, God, what are you doing here? You ever do that? Have you ever done that? Okay, I think that's probably almost everybody in here, if we want to be honest. Um, like, why, God, why, why is this happening in my life? Or why did you let it happen? Uh, for me, growing up, I had a great group of friends. It was like me and four other guys. We were super tight from middle school all the way through high school. And um, we even had a name. And we didn't name ourselves because that's not cool. Okay, other people named us. They called us the Fat Five. P-H, by the way, P-H-A-T. And uh, we were so cool back then. Um, but uh, I had such a good group of friends, 
in middle school and high school, and we had done a bunch of stuff together, that when I went to college, which I, after graduating, graduating high school, I took a semester, at, I was at Terra, and then after that, I went to Liberty University, which is in Virginia, and I went in the middle of the year, so right after Christmas, basically at the start of spring semester, that's when I went to school, and it was just awkward. All right, I was with people. Everybody kind of had their friend groups already. I'm coming in the middle of the year. I'm the, you know, I'm the new guy on the hall. I'm the new guy in the dorm. And it was just, it was just different. And I only had like a few friends, and we weren't all that even good of friends, at least in my estimation, because, and I think part of that was because I had such good friends in high school that nobody really compared or nobody really, you know, hit fit that void in my life when I went off to college. And on top of that, I had two roommates. I had never had roommates before. I had never wanted roommates before. And uh, my, between my two roommates, I, one was literally like mentally unstable, like crazy. And I'm not saying that because we all say that about one of our roommates. I'm saying like, this is for real. Um, and so uh, I could go on story after story, story about that, which I should do sometime. But uh, the other roommate, uh, we just like didn't click. You ever meet people who are just like, I mean, we're like friendly, but we're just like, we'll never be friends. You ever feel that way sometimes? Because you're like, yeah, we just like don't, you know, we're into different things and, and you know, we're very different people. And so for me, like, I didn't really have, I didn't feel like I had hardly any friends or good friends for sure. And all of my friends and all of my family and my girlfriend, like everybody's back at home. And you would get on Facebook because back then Facebook was only for college kids. Now everybody's got a Facebook. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, you get on Facebook and I would see all my friends doing all their stuff. Like they're posting all this stuff that they're doing. And it's like, and I'd be like, man, you know, they're doing this at home. They're all still together. I'm the one that's away. And instead of hanging out with them, I'm stuck at school with a, with a full load and I'm just kind of miserable, and I went into college thinking, like, college is supposed to be the best years, you know? Like, it's supposed to be fun, it's new, it's exciting, you kind of get some freedom, but that first semester, it was not like that for me. Maybe it was like that for you, it was not like that for me. The first semester, it was a thing with me and God where I'm just like, God, why? Like, this is not what I pictured, this is not what I was thinking college was going to be. I don't have any close friends, I don't have, you know, half the time I'm bored, and the other half of the time I'm doing schoolwork, which is not fun, and it just doesn't feel like home, and I have to share my space with two strangers that I really don't even like that much, and it's just like, God, what are you doing? You ever felt that way? Yeah. You ever feel like, there we go. You ever feel like God threw you in the back of a car and started driving in a direction that you two did not agree on? You ever feel that? Ever ask God why? Ever ask God why now or why them or why, why this way or why is this happening again? Or maybe you're a Christian, you're like trying to piece things together and you're like, I know, like, you know, there, there's, a, there's a bigger purpose here and you're trying to figure things out. So you're like, is there, is there a big picture? You know, is there, is there a greater good that's going to come from this terrible thing or is this a, there a purpose here? All right, we see this really in the story that we talked about just a couple weeks ago with these two um, sisters named Mary and, and Martha, and they were really, really, really good friends with Jesus. And so one day, their brother Lazarus gets sick, and he gets so sick that they're like, man, I don't know if he's going to make it. Like, we need to get Jesus here quick because Lazarus might die. And so they call up, or they, they send a messenger to Jesus, and, they, and the messenger gets to Jesus is like a couple days away, and when the messenger gets to Jesus, says, hey, Mary and Martha, they want you back at home. All right, Lazarus. Lazarus, your good friend Jesus, he's really sick and he might die. And so you need to go and you can heal him because you're God. And so why don't you come heal him? And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to wait. And he waits there for days. And then 
He waits until after Lazarus has died, and then he goes back to this tiny town called Bethany. And when he gets back, at this point, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, I mean, they've already had the funeral. They've already they've been mourning him. And Mary and Martha, in separate instances, they come up to Jesus, and they're just like, Jesus, why? Where were you? What's going on here? Why, why, why would you allow this terrible, terrible thing to happen? Now, these ladies, they, I mean, they, it's not like they lose out on their belief. Like, they still believe. They still have faith. Because their whole point is that, hey, you could have saved him, but you chose not to. Why didn't you do it? And they're asking why. And uh, it just reminds us. I mean, I mean it, you know, it's, it's the same thing that each and every one of us asks at certain times in our life. In fact, some of us, I think, we are a lot, maybe more intellectual. Some of you guys are more intellectual. And so in your mind, you're the one asking. You're like, hey, if God could prevent terrible tragedies from happening, like if God could prevent bad stuff in our life from happening, then why does he allow them to happen in the first place? Do you ever ask that? Or have you ever wondered that or thought about that? And really what it comes down to is um, a lot of people, they look at this and they see that God is supposed to supposedly all good and we see that God is supposedly all-powerful, but then you got this evil, you know, in the world, and we're trying to reconcile all that, trying to make that all fit, and so we ask this question, or basically we have this statement. We say, okay, um, he can't be both. He can't be all-good and all-powerful, because if God is all-powerful, but he's not all-good, therefore he doesn't stop evil, right? So that's one option, or it's the flip of that. It's God is all-good, but he's just not all that powerful, and so he doesn't have the ability to stop evil, See, this is what we think, and these are kind of the, the parameters that we put on, and our general tendency is to blame God for everything that's going wrong in the world. Like, that's what we do. We think if God is good and loving, why doesn't he just stop evil? Like, why can't he just do that? Well, what's the problem? But the problem is that that question is based on a false premise. See, when we think this, what we're doing is we're saying that God doesn't meet my criteria for goodness, right? That's what we're doing. Well, who's determining that? Well, I am, actually. You know, in my opinion, I feel like God should do this. Or in my opinion, I feel like God should do that or not do that. And so when we do this, we're making ourselves the moral center of our world. And that's the problem because nobody in this room is perfect and nobody in this room, we are not completely moral. In fact, the Bible tells us we are not moral people at all. And so when we ask the question why, if we're honest, I mean, think about this. Isn't it true that when we ask the question why and we, we're trying to figure out evil and there's just bad stuff that happens in our life, we're only focused on the bad out there? not the bad in here. Isn't that true? Have you ever thought about this before? It's always about the bad circumstances that happen on the outside, okay, that happen to us. And, and those circumstances affect us, okay, that's fair to say, and that's true. But it's never about the bad that's in here. Like, here's a question for you. Have you ever done anything bad? Have you? Yeah, once in a while, maybe. Yeah, a few of you have, okay. Um, have you ever done anything bad? Of course we've done stuff bad. Like, like, have you ever hurt anybody? Some of you guys are like, eh, nah, I don't hurt people. Are you sure you've never hurt anybody? Like, like, this is something that's a part of us. It's what we do. And when we struggle to make sense of a good God, and when we struggle to make sense of a good God with the reality of evil, it's always the evil out there, and it's never the evil in here. 
For example, I've never heard anybody ever say, how could a good God allow me to happen? Right? I've never heard anybody say that. Or I've never heard anybody say, hey, if God was good, you know, he would have done something about me, you know, by now. We've never heard anybody say that. Because it's always about the bad out there, never about the bad in here. See, we have to remember that mankind, we were created perfect. Right? We were created perfect. I mean, our original state, think about it. We were innocent. We were ageless. We were immortal. I mean, we had the ultimate setup in the Garden of Eden. Like, God created us this perfect home, and he placed us in that home, and he tells us to thrive. In fact, Adam's job description was literally, hey, check out what I've made and enjoy it, and every day we'll talk about it. How does that sound? Right? That was his job description. That's what we were meant to do. That's what we were created to do, to have a relationship with our creator and to enjoy the things that God has given us. But then the next thing you know, you got Adam and Eve. They had one rule, right? One tree out of all the trees on the whole garden, of the whole place, their whole home. It wasn't a kind of tree. It was just one tree that God tells them not to eat from. And what did they do? They ate from it. They chose to do life their way. And when that happened, sin entered the human race. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, death is a consequence of sin. He says, in this way, death spread to all people. Because every single one of us have sin. See, the point we got to keep in mind is that humanity, not God, is responsible for sin, for evil, and for suffering in this world. God made it perfect. We messed it up. Right? God made it perfect. We were the ones that messed it up. But even though suffering is ultimately our fault, God gives us a promise, and it's a promise that, that gives us hope, and it's a promise that personally for me in my life has given me comfort as, uh, as I've gone through things within my life. This is what we got. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, he says, hey, here's the deal. We know that all things, okay, all things, that includes everything, that includes whatever situation you're going through, that includes really, really, really good times and you're living the dream and life seems to be going great, that also includes when life is terrible and you don't know where to turn and you don't know what to do and you're just stuck. He says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. See, here he's saying, hey, um, this this." All things, okay, God can use for good. This is a verse that we hear a lot. I mean, we hear this at funerals, and if we're Christians, a lot of times we've used this, you know, to our family members and our coworkers and our friends who maybe are going through some terrible, terrible time in their life. So we're like, hey, just so you know, you know, we, we say, you know, God promises to use all situations, all bad situations for good, and we think, you know, of this stuff, and we tell this stuff to them. But notice, by the way, this isn't, this isn't for everybody. This promise is not for everyone. And the reality is this promise is not for everyone in this room. This promise is only for those who have, I mean, he says it right here, for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. What's that mean? He, he, this promise is only for those who are Christians, who are truly Christians. By the way, just saying you're a Christian or saying, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian, that's, that doesn't make you a Christian, okay? That doesn't make you um, saved. That doesn't make you, that doesn't mean that you have a real, true relationship with God. The Bible tells us that to have a real, true relationship with God, it's a decision that you individually, not your mom, not your dad, not your spouse, not your kids, okay, it's, it's you. It's a decision that you individually have to make 
on your own. It's a decision between you and your creator, okay? It's you inviting God into your life. Basically, um, it's you trusting in Jesus and what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago to pay for everything you've ever done wrong and not you. You're trusting in Jesus, not your good stuff, not anything that you could do. There's nothing we could do. Right? And so making that decision, those people who have made that decision in this room, which is probably the majority of us in here, right, that's who this promise is to. It only applies to Christians. And really, that's his whole point. It's that God can use whatever terrible situation, whatever circumstance we may be going through, and he can take that terrible thing, and he can turn it, and he can manipulate it for our good. And for his purpose. By the way, did you notice this real quick? Did you notice it's his purpose, not our purpose? Kind of messes some of us up a little bit. You're like, what? It's for his purpose, not our purpose. Meaning our lives, like my life serves a purpose, and it's not mine. My life serves a purpose, and it's not mine. My life serves God's purpose, and it's in any situation, right? It's in a good situation or a bad situation. It's in happy times and sad times. It's in great, when life is going great and we're living the dream, or when life is just terrible and we don't know what to do. Your life as a Christian, it serves a purpose. Now, this is what I totally understand. I totally get that when you're in the middle of it and you got all this stuff happening to you, you just don't know what to do. It's not emotionally satisfying. Like this answer does not fix it emotionally for us. It doesn't diminish the pain. But it does help us get through the pain. Knowing that God doesn't waste our pain. Paul, he actually then tells us why. And he says, this is the reason. For those he foreknew... He also predestined. By the way, let me just point out, um, this is a complicated um, thing to just think about God's foreknowledge and predestining and choosing people uh, to be saved and just all that stuff, which ironically, we're talking about on Wednesday nights in AJ's class, okay? And uh, so if you're interested, um, you want to learn more about this stuff, uh, come on out. We're going through Ephesians. Ephesians has a lot of this stuff in it, okay? That was my little sales pitch. I'll see you guys on Wednesday at 6.30. All right. So... Uh, it says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined, complicated stuff, we talk about, we're talking about that on Wednesday, to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, here's the goal. Here's the goal. Our goal and God's goal is for us to be conformed to Jesus. So what's that mean? Right? It's this whole plan. The whole goal is for us to become more like Jesus, meaning God promises to use any situations, any situation in our life to help make us wiser, stronger, braver, more righteous, a better all-around good person, more like Jesus. See, we get this. I think we get this. I think, I think we do the same thing. Um, how many of you... Uh, Allow your kids, like, I mean, we understand, like, with kids, it's good for your kids to go through some hard times sometimes, right? Or, like, like do difficult stuff. Do we all agree on that? Okay, just a couple days ago, my uh, kindergartner, Toby, he came up and he asked me, he was throwing a ball around at, at our house, and he, the ball fell into, like, a thorn bush, okay? And he's like, hey, Dad, can you get it out? And I'm like, you know what? No. <laughs> I could, but I'm going to have, you could do it. And I looked at it, I saw it, it was, like, doable, for him. And I'm like, no, you could do this. And he's like, no, I don't want to, you know, it's, it's going to hurt. And I'm like, no, you just, just go slow and you try to figure this out. And sure enough, 
three minutes later, all right, he, he took care of it. He figured it out. Like, and that's good for him. It's good for us to get through some difficult stuff sometimes. And I feel like that sounds weird to us, but, but really one of the reasons why God allows us to go through tough stuff is actually for our own good. It's good for us because he loves us. That's one of the reasons why we go through hard stuff. Actually, a few verses later, Paul says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? The answer to that is nobody. Nothing can. He's, Paul gives us some, some options. He's like, can affliction? Right? He's, notice all these things are bad things, okay, because I think that's when we struggle the most. He says, can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, can any of those separate you from the love of Jesus? He says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life or nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers... All right, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's Paul. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Nothing can separate us from him. Like, it's done. If you are a Christian, it's done. It's over. He's got you, and he's not going to let you go. Once we truly hand our life over to Jesus, we are his, and there's no situation, there's no thing, there's no one who can take that away from us. He says, not the angels, not government, thank goodness, okay, no rulers, no present situation, not the future situation, no amount of power, no created thing, no problem, no danger that could possibly separate us from his love. There is nothing that we can even do. We can't even mess it up because you know if we could, we would, right? Nothing can separate us from his love. See, he loved us so much. As Christians, actually a few verses earlier, he says that we are, we're adopted by God. I mean, think about what that means, just real quick. Right? Adopted by God. He says, actually, we become heirs to God. Even more than that, he says, actually, we are like co-heirs with Jesus. And where God's basically saying, hey, everything that I have, I'm going to give to you, will be yours. It's kind of like how um, my kids are my heirs, all right, technically I don't think about this much, but uh, my kids are my heirs. And so when Kate and I die, basically yeah, my kids are going to get, you know, whatever I have. So right now that's just a little money, an old truck, an old tractor, and a mortgage. Um, so hopefully they don't spend it all in one place, you know. But, um, but they get everything that I have. That's what God promises to do for us. He promises to make us heirs, meaning his stuff becomes our stuff. And because of that, Whatever we go through in this life suddenly becomes a little easier because we have our sights set on the future, because we have hope, because we look at the big picture. See, part of it's just that. It's perspective. Sometimes we're so focused on some little, little aspect of our life, and it's not going the way that we plan, and we don't like it. And it's like we're in the driver's seat, and God's taking us the direction that we did not agree on going. And it's just like, God, why, why, why? Where Paul, he's saying, hey, look at the big picture here. The big picture is good. The big picture is awesome. Right? We are heirs of Christ. In fact, he goes even further. He explains this a little bit earlier. If we back up to back to verse 18. He says, "For I consider that the sufferings, right? And by the way, Paul knew suffering. All right, Paul in his one of his letters to um, 
the Corinthian church, I mean, he kind of lists it out, which is interesting to see. He talks about how he's been in prison, how he had been, he had been beaten more times than he could possibly count, how he had received 39 lashes five different times. They wouldn't do, Romans, they were like perfect, they, they, they knew their stuff, okay? They were really good at punishing people to the brink of death and then bringing them back. Um, so 39 lashes was considered survivable. 40 lashes would kill you. So what they would do is they would give someone 39 lashes and basically bring it to the point of death and then bring you back. And so Paul, he's saying, hey, I received that five times. I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't appreciate it. That wasn't fun in the moment. He says he's been beaten with rods three different times. He talks about how he had many sleepless nights and he had been sick and, and he's gone through pain. And at one time he was stoned. He had been shipwrecked three different times. One time he spent a day and night in the sea. He, had, he knew what it was like to starve. He knew what it was like to be thirsty and have no water. He knew what it was like to be unbelievably cold. He had faced dangers from rivers and robbers. And, and on top of that, he has all this pressure to care about all the Christians within the world. Roman Empire for this new thing called Christianity, this new belief. And, and so he's got all this going on. And think about it. Paul was one of the best Christians to have ever have lived. He's like, maybe number one. And he's gone through all that stuff. The guy has suffered. And so when he writes this, we got to keep that in mind. He says, for I consider that the sufferings, all that stuff that junk that he, had been gone, that he had gone through at this point. He says, of this present time, he's like, they're not even worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. He's like, it's not even worth talking about. Like, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through right now, it's nothing compared to what we get someday. It's nothing. See, the terrible things in this life that make us ask why, which we've all asked, doesn't even come close to what God has in store for us. Doesn't even come close. Now, some of you, you've gone through some tragic, horrible stuff, stuff that I can't even imagine going through, that I don't know how I would react. And I totally understand that even hearing this, it can feel so, I don't know, it can be so difficult just to feel. It just doesn't feel real when we're in the moment. But if you think about it this way, in reality, those of you who have been going through some tragic or horrible event in your life, like in a sense, you may have a better idea of the immense goodness that God has in store for us because you've experienced the immense badness in this life. Does that make sense? Kind of difficult to understand. Right? Because you know the truth that the future uh, good, it far outweighs the amount of bad or the present bad, and you've experienced a lot of bad. See, the amount of bad, it doesn't even come close to the amount of future good. And so, and so maybe even those of you who have gone through some terrible, horrible, horrible stuff, you might be able to even understand this better than the rest of us. Because you know how bad it can get. It's going to get better. See, the future is so good. Paul says, even nature's waiting. Check this out. He says, for the creation 
eagerly waits. In the original language in the Greek, um, this is the idea of, uh, of like a kid standing on their tippy toes, trying to see, waiting for whatever's coming. They're waiting for something. It's like trying to see, straining like everything they got. He's like, creation's kind of like that. Creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed, saying creation is waiting for that day. It cannot wait. In the next verse, he says, for the creation was subjected to futility. Futility is like frustration. It's like nature's frustrated because it's just not right, because it's not how it's supposed to be. It's not how God created it to be. Not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. See, Paul's like, don't you get it? Don't you understand? Look, here's what you need to understand. You got to look at big context here. In the beginning, right, sin entered the world and God judged the whole world. God judged creation, judged the relationship between creation. God judged the earth, the animals, people. God judged everything. And since then, sin has ruled, like, ever since. Right? Ever wake up in the morning and wonder why your back hurts? Right? And you're just like, ugh. Or you pull a muscle doing something or anything like that. You know why that is? Newsflash. Right? We are slaves to decay. That's what he's saying. He's like, hey, we, just like creation, we are decaying. Right? It's getting worse. And we're like, God, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening in my life or in their life? You know, the, the answer to that is, well, part of it is we're decaying. Bad things are happening. It's not just something in your world is broke. It's the whole world is broken. Your marriage is broken, your kids are broken, the government's broken, the country's broken, your career's broken, everything is broke. And it's why things just don't work out sometimes. It's why things go wrong. The Bible tells us that pain is coming, and anyone who thinks that Christians are exempt from pain has not read their Bible. I mean, Jesus even promises us. Jesus says, hey, in this world, you will have trials. You're going to have trouble. It's coming. Peter says, hey, don't be surprised when trouble enters your life. Actually, you should expect it. James, he goes even further. He says, hey, don't just expect trouble. Actually, you can find joy in your pain because there's purpose in pain. And actually, pain has potential locked in it. I think one of the best examples of this is the story of Job, which I talk about all the time. You guys know I love the story of Job. I'm all about Job. We just talked about it. We mentioned it a couple weeks ago. But in this story, you got Job. He's, he, at the time when he lived, this is a true story, at the time that he lived thousands of years ago, I mean, he was the, 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 God tells us he's the most righteous man on earth. Like this guy was nice to everybody. Everybody knew it. It's just a really, really, really good guy. And he had a tight, real relationship with God. And one day, Satan comes up to heaven and, and up to God's throne room, and God points Job out, and he's like, hey, have you noticed Job? I know you have. He's like bragging on Job, like God bragging on a human. It's just crazy for me to think about. And Satan's like, oh, yeah, 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 I noticed Job. By the way, he only worships you because you've given him all this stuff. You made him rich. You give him a bunch of kids. You know, you take all that stuff away, and uh, he's not going to worship you no more. And God tells him, he says, hey, okay, you can go, and I'll allow you to test him. And so Satan immediately leaves. He's all giddy and excited. And so he goes, and he hits Job from all sides. And he, like, just like a pound, like a ton of bricks hits Job right at once, where messenger after messenger after messenger comes to tell Job, hey, Job, you've lost all your wealth. He lost all of his wealth basically in an instant. And then right after that, even worse, his messenger comes and says, hey, all your kids have died. Worst day of Job's life. 
hands down. I mean, can you imagine? And Job, he falls down on his knees, and he says, probably through clenched teeth, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will die or leave. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's it. Some time passes by. Satan appears back up in heaven, and um, God's like, hey, did you notice, by the way, that, uh, that you did all this terrible stuff to Job and he still worships me? And Satan, he's, he pushes back on that. He's like, hey, he only worships you, God, because he doesn't care about his kids and he doesn't even care about his wealth or the guys who worked for him or anything like that who were killed. He's saying, hey, he only cares about himself and his health. And if you took away his health, man, he would, he would, he would stop worshiping you hands down. He would curse you to your face. And God says, all right, go ahead and touch him, but you cannot kill Job. All right, you're not allowed to put him to death. And so uh, Satan hits him probably with the worst thing imaginable, I'm assuming, because this is Satan. And Job develops these giant boils all over his body, which are super painful. On top of that, Job is kicked out of his house, and he's living among the, at the city dump, where everybody dumps their trash, and, um, and he finds a broken piece of pottery, and he's scraping these boils off of his body, and he is just in agony. I mean, think about it. Job has lost all of his wealth. He went from being one of the richest men in the area, and the most godly man in the area. He has lost all of his wealth. All right, He's lost all of his children. He's lost all of his kids, and now he's lost his health, and he's scraping these things off of his body. He's so, he's in so much pain. His wife comes over, and she's lost a lot too, and she says, hey, you just need to curse God and die. And after that, Job's friends come along, and they start off okay, but then they start talking, and they start blaming Job for all this and saying, hey, Job, what have you done? Hey, Job, God is punishing you for something that you've done. And they won't let up, and at a point, maybe two weeks after all this happened, I mean, Job, he just loses it, and he cracks. You've probably been there before, where it's just, you don't know what to do, and you just break down, and Job starts crying out to God, and he starts yelling at God, and he's saying, hey, this is not fair. What I'm going through, I've done nothing but worship God. This is not supposed to happen. This is not right. And then he gets even more bold, and he says, hey, God, if I could, I wish I could take you to court, because I think I'd win. He starts screaming at God, and at that moment, God shows up. In a big way. It's one of the coolest passages in the entire Bible. It's like this tornado whirlwind thing just appears before Job. And God says, hey, Job, all right, I ask the questions. You do the answering, not the other way around. And probably about that time, Job, Job pees his pants. And um, after he's done with that, all right, God starts peppering him with question after question after question after question. And these are questions that Job cannot answer. It's like 40-something questions, I think, all at once. And he just goes and goes and goes and goes. And it's questions like, hey, Job, where were you when I created the earth? Were you there? Since you know Job, right, where were you when I created the animals? Who feeds the animals? Is that you? I can't remember. I'm having some trouble remembering. Is that you or is that me? Who takes care of the people? Who takes care? Have you, who decided where the ocean stopped and who put the, the, the stars in place? Have you walked in the bottom of the ocean, all right? Have you done that? Have you done this? And, and who takes care of the animals and who knows, you know, do you know when the animals give birth and are you there for that? Do you watch over them? Do you do this, do this? He just peppers them with all these questions, all these questions that Job cannot answer. And at the end, Job, he's like, he's like, gets down. He's like, okay, 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 God. He says, I'm nothing but dust. I'm dirt to you. He finally got the right perspective. Job finally understood that his life served a purpose 
That was God's message through all this. It's, hey, your life serves a purpose, and I love you. It's the same thing we need to be reminded about. We can have confidence in the driver of our life. Not only is he a good driver, but he's a good dad. And he loves us so much that he was willing himself to put himself through pain and suffering just to have a relationship with us. And because of that, in the end, we know that our best is yet to come. Right, that we will be set free from this decay, that we will be set free from pain, that everything terrible that we go through in this world, that it's just temporary, that in the big picture, life is so much better. So the question, why did God let it happen? I don't know. But I think there are, can be a million good reasons to why bad things happen in our life. And maybe we're just struggling to find one. We're like, man, if God would just give me one, like that would be, that would be good. But here's the deal. And maybe he will, maybe he won't. Right? God doesn't owe us an explanation. He doesn't owe us an answer. Notice in the whole story of Job, God doesn't come down to Job and say, hey, Job, um, sorry about all that, but I was actually in heaven. And so this is what Satan said about you. And so I told him he could. He doesn't tell Job any of that. He doesn't. All he tells Job is, hey, I'm all powerful and I'm all good. See, we can have confidence in our driver, and I totally understand that that doesn't necessarily take the pain away, but it does help us through it. Let's pray. God, we, um, for some of us, this is really hard to say, but God, we thank you for pain. And we thank you for your plan, and we thank you for that you care about us so much that, that you drive our life. You want to be the driver. God, that could be so hard for some of us, and some of us is so hard to find the good, but we thank you so much for this promise that you can use any situation, and you promise to use any situation, no matter if it's good or bad in our life, that you can use it for our good. And God, we trust in your plan. And God, we thank you for your love for us. You don't owe us your love. We definitely did not earn your love. But you loved us anyway. Help us to remember this promise as bad things in our life because you promise us that pain is coming. Although in the end, you will wipe our tears away. And in the end, is good. God, help us to remember that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.